You want to hold on to your hats because we're really moving today. So the first song that we're doing is a Spanish song called Si Te Vieras Fe, which we have done before, but it's been probably a number of years. So even if all you do during this song is just dance around and enjoy, that is totally fine. And then the next song may not be familiar to you, but it is ridiculously catchy, and I think you guys will jump right in. So please join us as we sing our praises to our God and Father together. Se moverá, se moverá, se moverá, y la montaña se moverá, se moverá, se moverá. Si tuvieras fe como un grano de mostaza, eso lo dice el Señor. Si tuvieras fe como un grano de mostaza, eso lo dice el Señor. Tú le dirías a la montaña, muévete. Se moverá, se moverá, se moverá, y la montaña se moverá, se moverá, se moverá, y la montaña se moverá, se moverá, se moverá, y la montaña se moverá, se moverá, se moverá.
Father, we have come today to declare that you are God. You're good and merciful and that your love is for the whole world. We pray that in our worship today, we will, we will have a deeper sense of who you are and a greater sense of passion about your world. Thank you for being present with us in our worship today. Be glorified in all that we do here. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. It's your word of greeting with others here in worship today. Great to see you as uh, we gather here uh, on this weekend when we, we think especially about the world. I mean, we want to think about the world all the time, but uh, especially this weekend and, and actually next weekend and even extending beyond that, we are focusing our attention on uh, the greater world. And uh, that is the world way out there and the world a little closer to us as well, and thinking about both. And so... Immediately following the service, uh, there will be a combined adult Sunday school class in the community room, and uh, folks from the Department of Social Services here in Allegheny County will be talking about foster care, and uh, it's an important part of reaching out to people in need, and so we encourage you to uh, head over for that and be a part of that gathering if you can. Uh, Also, uh, you'll notice that on the uh, 16th of February, we are... Uh, hosting the meal at Wellspring down in Angelica. And if you are interested in helping with that, there's information in the bulletin about that. And this coming Saturday, the 30th, we are also hosting a seminar uh, through the uh, Lilius Trotter Center uh, about uh, a seminar on Muslims, refugees, and immigration, a Christian response. And we have folks coming from all over western New York uh, who are coming to this event and we'd love to have you there. If you, haven't, if you want to come and you haven't yet uh, indicated that you're coming, it would just help in uh, the uh, planning of things to know. You can, uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. You can do that as you leave today, or you can contact the church office in the next couple of days, and we'll get you signed up for that. We are uh, privileged today, as part of this weekend, to welcome Mike Walters back to the pulpit uh, many of us know uh, Mike. He, uh, for the last 20 years, has been uh, teaching at the college and serving in a variety of administrative posts as well. And prior to that, he was the pastor of this church for 13 years. And uh, we are excited to have him back today. And he has a heart, passion for the world. And we're excited to hear from him a little bit later in the service. And I, I know that God will speak to our hearts as he shares with us. At this time, we have the opportunity to give back to God from all the ways in which he has blessed us. And so we're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Jesus, Lord of my salvation, Savior of my soul, 
Send me out to the world to make you known. Jesus, King of every nation, this world's only hope. Send me out to the world to make you known. Send me out to the contemplate uh, the world and our place in it, our witness in it. I want to uh, spend some time praying together, and uh, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me.
Father, there are certainly things in this world that we are uncertain about. One thing of which we are quite certain is that you love the whole world. And that it's your purpose to redeem the whole world through Christ. Father, this morning, as we gather in this place, we recognize how often our our world is so small. How we think about life and people and circumstances so often seems to be narrow and limited. We pray today that you will give us a new vision of your world. Open our eyes to see the work of your spirit throughout the world and to see the great needs of the world and have hearts that are compassionate and to be people who are active in helping people throughout the world to know you. Father, we pray for the nations of the world, some large, some small, some with great influence, some hardly noticed. Some are prosperous. Far too many are ravaged by disease and famine and drought. Some exist in relative peace. Some know virtually nothing but war and constant fear of war. Father, we pray for your grace upon every nation of the world. We pray, Father, for for your grace to be evident in those places of conflict and ask that you would bring peace. In places where there is opposition to your people, that you would bring your grace to bear on their witness. Lord, we think especially of Christians in Iran, very small compared to the population of this nation. And yet, Father, there's been great growth in the church even in the midst of opposition and persecution. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters in this difficult place to have courage and that in all levels of society they would bear witness to who you are. And we pray that you would bless their witness, that more and more people would come to know you in the nation of Iran. Father, we think about the world that is not quite so far from us. We think of the world in our our county and the many needs that are represented here. We thank you for the ministry of Rural Family Kids Camp. And as they are in in the process of finding more volunteers for this summer's camp, we pray, Father, that, that you will bless the leaders and all who are who are helping to plan the camp, to have wisdom and insight. We pray that you will put on the hearts of of people a willingness to serve the children of this area. And we pray, Father, that you will work miraculously in the recruitment of, of good leaders for this camp. Father, we we continue to pray for for the people of this nation, and we think about the huge snowstorm that has just hit so much of the East Coast and even on into the Midwest. 
lives lost and people stranded and now flooding. Lord, we pray that you will protect people everywhere and especially those who are most vulnerable to storms like these. We ask that you will bring an ease to the suffering and the pain. And we pray that you will work miraculously. Father, we continue to pray for the ministries around us. We pray for the Wiscoy Baptist Church and for Pastor Bennett. Bless them in their ministry in Wiscoy and beyond. We pray that you would pour out your anointing upon this church, this gathering of believers. And we ask that they would sense your spirit with them today in worship and in all of the days of their work and ministry. And Father, we thank you for the ministry of Cornelia here. Many lives that have been touched to continue to be touched through this time of worship on the college campus. We pray you would bless the leaders of this ministry and pour out your anointing upon them. And as they gather for worship tonight and in the coming weeks and months, may they sense your spirit helping and leading and guiding. Father, we pray for those around us here who are in need. We think of all who are grieving, the various stages of grief. We ask for your comforting presence. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. And we think of Calvin and Laurel Buecher and Warren Woolsey, Bill Getty and Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and for others who may be on our hearts and our minds today. We ask for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, thank you for the privilege you've given us of being your hands, your feet, your voices, your faces in this world. Father, may our hearts continue to be stirred at the burdens of this world and by your love through Christ for this world. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, friends. Um, as a reminder, after our scripture reading, uh, children are dismissed to children's church and junior church. Uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 21. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord and try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God. But it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and as he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together. Good morning, everyone. 
This past June, my wife and I both retired. Nancy retired from her career as an elementary school teacher and I as a college professor. My wife spent her days teaching six-year-olds and seven-year-olds how to read and write. I spent my days teaching 18 to 22-year-olds how to read and write. As the African proverb puts it, it takes a village. I have no doubt, however, that Nancy had a much more difficult job than did I. Honestly, when I think of standing seven hours a day in front of a bunch of first graders, it scares the daylights out of me. I'd rather teach New Testament to the Taliban. Little kids make me nervous. I'm a rather structured person. And little kids go through structure like a bag of gummy bears. That's just way out of my comfort zone. So all things considered, working with college students was a good thing for me. Not the least of which, it allowed me to become somewhat oblivious to all these little ones around. All that changed for me, however, in August of 2014, when I had my first look at my grandson. I was honestly not prepared for how that was going to affect me. And then a little over seven months later, it happened again with my second grandson. I'm a Wesleyan. I consider that the second blessing. I call it entire grandpa-fication. Well, of course, I'm nuts about my grandkids. That's to be expected. But what I didn't expect was that suddenly I find I'm nuts about little kids anyway, all over the place. I'm very much aware of them, and they're everywhere. It's like they've been hiding. And I'm not only seeing them, I'm walking through stores and shopping malls, and I'm smiling at them. How weird is that? I'm a curmudgeon for Pete's sake. It's one of my gifts. What's happened to me? In a word, it's called reorientation. Reorientation of life is a transformation of the concerns that drives our emotions and of the worldview that drives our opinion and our evaluation. It's a radical change of the core lifestyle that drives our habits and our actions. The Bible often uses the term repentance to get at this. The Greek word for repentance has this idea of a radical change of mind, of the way we think. In another place, the Apostle Paul speaks of the, of our being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Reorientation is what we mean when we speak of being made new. And here in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul is speaking to a very specific aspect or evidence, if you will, of this reorientation. 
In founding the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul has his hands full. The Corinthian church confronts him with, I think, the ultimate game of administrative whack-a-mole. I mean, something's just popping up all the time with this group. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul tackles head-on a gallery of issues that would turn any pastor's head gray. Now here in the second letter, Paul finds himself defending his apostolic credentials against some people in Corinth who are overly impressed with style and have no sense of what true substance really is. And even some of Paul's supporters are puzzled by his insistence on traipsing around the Mediterranean world instead of staying in Corinth and going head-to-head with his rivals and critics. But Paul has a much larger agenda than securing his alpha dog status amongst a bunch of immature people whose vision of life is still more informed by the wisdom of the world than it is by the gospel. He spends much of the fourth and early fifth chapters of this letter explaining to his readers that if they're going to correctly understand him, then they must grasp the kind of eternal perspective under which he operates. He knows that he, along with all of us, are going to someday give an account of our lives before God. Paul also grasped that the very essence of an apostle is one who has been sent with a commission. And so Paul unapologetically confesses that he is compelled by Christ's amazing love to giving himself wholeheartedly to this commission to share the good news anywhere and everywhere. For Paul, being made new is not some kind of special status. It is not some spiritual achievement award. Rather, it is the entryway into a radically new vision of human life and vocation. And that's what we need to keep in mind when we read verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of the best-known descriptions of Christian conversion anywhere in Scripture, and yet lifted from its context, it is easily sold short of its intended purpose. Far too often this verse is cited primarily to speak to the momentous change that happens in a sinner's life when he or she is born again. And, And that is certainly the case. But to leave the emphasis there is to miss Paul's main point. Surely many people, many of you perhaps, have powerful testimonies of radical change in your life in coming to know Christ. But perhaps just as many of you do not have some powerful before and after story. Do those people experience the new creation less? I'll never forget Joseph Stowell, the former president at Moody Bible Institute, saying to a group of us one day, the Lord saved me as a four-year-old and delivered me from a life of biting my sister. 
Joseph Stoel was made new every bit as much as the most blatant sinner who comes to Christ. You see, this verse is not primarily intending for us to look backwards at what used to be, but to look ahead as to what has become new for us. And there are any number of elements in our lives that are radically changed when we were made new in Christ. And Scripture speaks to them very clearly. But right here in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul stresses that to become a new person in Christ is to be immersed in a new way of viewing ourselves and others and the world. Being made new in Christ is intended to radically shift the nature of our values and our priorities as we stop living for ourselves and start living for this one who gave himself for us. It is total reorientation. And the crux of this new orientation that we have centers around what God has intended for his world. And that divine intention is summarized for us here in one word. Reconciliation. In embracing this new creation, we not only let go of the old, but we join ourselves to God's cosmic purpose, his mission for the world. This incredible experience of being made new is but the starting point for the rest of our lives. All of this, says Paul, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Behind this entire endeavor, Paul sees a reconciling God. Not an angry, spiteful, wrathful God, but a God whose love is great enough to take the inconceivable step of self-sacrifice in order to bring reconciliation to all of his creation. To reconcile is to restore friendship. Harmony. It is to make consistent or congruent. As we look around our world today, or, or even our immediate neighborhoods, it would be hard to think of anything more needed than reconciliation. Our world literally screams with the incongruity of hatred and violence and disharmony. Whether we're talking about the divide between religious or political ideologies, the increasing gap between the haves and the have-nots, the continuing fractures among people along the lines of race, gender, or class, our world desperately needs reconciliation, harmony. Week before last, I was teaching a seminar at Northeastern Seminary in Rochester, We were looking at James Cone's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. James Cone, I think, is probably the most prominent African-American theologian in America. And this particular book is the most gut-wrenchingly painful piece of theology I've ever read in my life. There were 12 pastors in this seminar. Seven of them were African-American. And I sat there and I listened And I saw the anguish and the pain 
of these wonderful pastors who daily, daily deal with the repercussions of our fractured and hateful world. And I was powerfully reminded how important reconciliation is. And also I was reminded that until every one of us in the church accepts our call to be agents of reconciliation, there will be no healing as God intends it. You see here that Paul says that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We have been made new, not to merely twiddle our spiritual thumbs until we go to heaven. We have been recruited by God's spirit to join in spreading the good news of Christ and to be living, breathing embodiments of God's reconciling purposes for the world. And so we are not only reconciled to God personally, but we are now enlisted in the church's vocational purpose in the world. What is God up to in this world? In one word, it's reconciliation. The foundational plot line of the entire Bible is the story of a creator God who refuses to give up on his wayward creation and takes costly steps to bring about a full and everlasting reconciliation of the cosmos. And he has awakened you and me and all who are made new to join him in this redemptive endeavor. I recognize that in one respect, I'm a most odd choice for a missions weekend speaker. I have no slides to show. I have no harrowing snake stories. To my knowledge, I don't know a witch doctor. I do not fit the traditional, stereotypical picture of a missions speaker at all. Unless, unless you get what Paul is saying here. Because in reality, as a baptized Christian, I am a missionary. What else could I possibly be? And I'm standing here looking at a room full of missionaries. You may never go far from a home. You may never take up some of those traditional forms of service that are historically identified with missions. But if you have been made new in Jesus Christ, your vocational destiny is to be part of God's reconciling work in this world. Recently, I've been rereading some books I read years ago. And I've been rereading some of the books of the old Quaker philosopher, David Elton Trueblood. In one of his books, he says, It's hard to read the New Testament in depth and not realize that the early church, in its period of greatest vitality, was very different from most parts of the conventional church in our own day. He says, Perhaps the most striking feature from our contemporary point of view is that all of the early Christians were missionaries. They did not leave the evangelistic task to either professional evangelists or to pastors to whom they paid salaries, for these did not exist. 
As we read the truly exciting story of the early church, persevering as it did in the face of incredible odds, we sense the difference between the task of merely supporting missionaries and of being missionaries. The early church did not have a missionary arm. It was a missionary movement. And Christopher Wright echoes this when he says it's not so much that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. This is our purpose. This is our calling. This is our God-given vocation. Someone has said that, that our vocation is what we can't not do. If you are a new creation in Christ, what you can't not do is be an agent of God's reconciling grace to the world. Perhaps you noticed when you looked in the bulletin today that a current popular movie has stolen my sermon title. It's so annoying when that happens. It's all right, I'll get over it. I suspect that franchise needs all the help it can get. I mean, droids, Wookiees, lightsabers, who's going to buy any of that nonsense? But nonetheless, the story is interesting. It's a story of a galaxy where a small republic finds itself fighting the powers of darkness and evil. Without much of a chance, actually. Until something called the Force awakens. And strange as it seems, this power, this, this Force, proves more than adequate to the task of securing the triumph of the people of that threatened world. Our task of taking the message of reconciliation into our broken world seems impossible unless we can begin to grasp the power of the force, God's church. Folks, God did not miscalculate when he committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. Just yesterday, I read a quote from a United Methodist bishop who says, the most powerful force at work in our world today is a local church guided by the Holy Spirit. But the force will awaken only when Christians understand the idea that the missionary vocation is universal. The church cannot function as God intends it to function unless the members accept the fact that each one is made new to be a part of Christ's reconciling purpose in the world. There are meant to be as many missionaries as there are believers. And most of the time, being a missionary does not require that you go away from home. It simply requires your engagement in the ministry of reconciliation. The only way to be loyal to the fire of Christ is to spread it. 
Thomas Oden says the church does not elicit mission, but rather mission elicits, awakens, and empowers the church. The very purpose of the coming together of the community is in order that they may be fully prepared to be sent. They come together to receive grace, and then they scatter to declare grace. They gather to hear the word of God's reconciling love for the fallen world, and then they depart to embody that love within the world. So what? What do we do with this? Okay, listen carefully. This, this is the one and the only time I will ever quote Bill Belichick. <laughs> what do we do? Do your job. That's what he tells his players. Just do your job. Paul says we are therefore Christ ambassadors. Ambassadors, not tourists. Ambassadors, not day trippers. Ambassadors, not collectors of cultural knickknacks. Ambassadors. Representatives of another kingdom. A kingdom where Jesus is Lord. What would it mean for you to faithfully represent God's reconciling intent for this world? What would it mean for each of us to take seriously our vocational call to be agents of reconciliation in the world? What would it mean to stop looking at others through the lens of this world and instead begin to consider them as recipients of the new creation? As ambassadors of Christ, reconciling kingdom, how should we respond to the great issues of our day, like immigration and terrorism? How do we respond in confronting the culture of violence in this country? How do we respond to racism, to the idea of justice and equality for all? What would an ambassador of Christ do? At minimum... It entails getting the salt out of the salt shaker. Ambassadors who spend all of their waking moments hanging out at the embassy do their country a grave disservice. Kevin Van Hooser says that followers of Christ must do more than than observe his story from a safe distance. There is a difference between an onlooker and a witness. The onlooker observes but does not take part in the action. By way of contrast, the one giving witness is an active participant. Churches filled with onlookers is hardly what God had in mind. And until the Christian church takes its vocation seriously the church will continue to appear to the rest of this world like an overly anxious social club. It's very interesting to think that the residents in Corinth 
in the year AD 55 could have identified with no trouble at all the temple of Apollo. They could have given you directions how to get there. But the question of the location of the church of Jesus Christ would have stumped them. They could not have pointed to a building at a certain address. There were no such structures in existence at that time. If Christian witness is relegated to a building with four walls... The harm comes not in what occurs within these particular walls, but in the consequent easing of our conscience about what goes on elsewhere. So the question this morning is simply this. Where is Houghton Church? Is the answer a street address on Route 19? That huge field of solar panels that lies just beyond the field of dreams north of town is an impressive sight. There it sits day by day, according to some good folk in North Carolina, slowly draining all the power out of our sun. Relax, my science faculty friends at Houghton, assure me that is not the case. (laughs) No, those panels are the visible evidence of power, of a force, if you will. And the force represented in those panels has incredible potential. Potential that is surely about something beyond merely heating up the bagel toaster in the college dining commons. It's an energy force that needs to be utilized to its fullest potential. Perhaps better than most, I know that this church, Houghton Church, has an incredible history of worldwide influence over the years with regards to the mission of God in this world. It's safe to say that there are few churches that have cast a greater shadow for God and his kingdom. But you must not allow contentment and pride with a triumphant past to defer in any way the urgency of the present. God in Christ has taken the all-important step to bring reconciliation to his world, and he desires all of us to join him as agents of reconciliation. A few weeks ago, we were watching the Kennedy Center Honors on television. They were honoring the lifetime achievements of the actor Cicely Tyson. And as part of the tribute to that great woman, they brought out the gospel singer C.C. Winans. 
And she sang that old hymn of the church, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And as that hymn of praise to Jesus for his reconciling love was being sung, they panned the audience. And I was struck by how many of those celebrities and political figures and power brokers of our world had big tears coursing down their cheeks. There is something about the possibility of being made new, of being reconciled with God that resonates deep within the hearts of human beings. Instead of telling them that they are judged, why don't we instead give them the good news of God in Christ reconciling all things to himself? For this, we have been made new. Rise up, O church of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. Amen. Please stand as we sing together. Brothers, let us come together, walking in the Spirit. There's much to be done. We will come reaching out from our comforts, and they will know us by our love. Sisters, we were made for kindness. We can pierce the darkness as He shines through.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.